Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you enjoy the podcast, you can support it for only $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com. As well, why not listen to my other podcasts, From John to Justin and Pucks and Cups, available on all podcast platforms. This episode is sponsored by the town of Carlisle. I'm going to be looking at the history of Carlisle, a community in Saskatchewan, and it has a really amazing history that I, I absolutely loved looking into. As usual, when I look at the history of a community, I'm not going to be looking at it in a chronological order, but looking at various aspects of the community's history. So let's begin. Indigenous History It was the indigenous who named the nearby Kenosee Lake, which is the Cree word for fish. The lake was a popular destination for the indigenous who came to the area to camp and collect the bountiful fish that live in the lake. The bison were also a major food source in the area for centuries for the Cree and Assiniboine people, who lived throughout. In 1866, Walter Trail related a bison hunt that happened near Moose Mountain, stating, quote, We set forth in the first light of dawn across the sandy prairies, that are broad and treeless and level from the banks of the Kewapel and the Assiniboine rivers, to the south and west, broken only by the gentle sloping of the Moose Mountains, and further west, the Wood Mountains. Our hunters drew as near as possible to the grazing animals without disturbing them. In the time-honours discipline of generations of plainsmen, they formed a long line keeping abreast in self-imposed silence until so close that the beasts became restless and their solid heads began to rise here and there in the herd. At that instant they broke into a run. The captain gave the command to charge. Then, and not a second before, the riders descended upon them at full gallop, each man having an equal chance to approach and bring down a buffalo with his first shot. At the end of the hour, all but the fastest riders have dropped behind the fleeing buffalo, and they counted 75 dead animals. Each cart carries one and a half dead animals, and if the weather is cold, the meat is frozen, but if the weather is warm, an encampment of Indians is engaged to dry the meat for pemmican. The buffalo would soon begin to disappear due to overhunting in Canada and the United States, in the winter of 1882-83, the last great buffalo hunt in the area was conducted, entering a tradition that went back to long before the arrival of Europeans. In the area are mounds and medicine wheels that have been dated back as far as 1700 years, showing that there was an indigenous habitation in the area while the Roman Empire was still around. The area would also be where Treaty 2 was signed by the Chippewa tribe, just northeast of the Moose Mountains. Founding of the community The first site of Carlisle was located on the east side of Swift Creek, which was a site chosen by John Turriff. Turriff was a Métis man who had come out to the area in 1882 and built a general store in the back of his house. He was well known for being an energetic and fair young man who was highly thought of by the people in the area. Thanks to his enterprising and energetic nature, while also serving as the postmaster and notary public, Turriff is seen as the founder of Carlisle. The Moose Mountain Agricultural Fair would be held for the first time in 1885, and it was the first of its kind in the area. 
From 1883 to 1888, the first incarnation of Carlisle enjoyed good years, but in 1891, turf moved away and the land was bought in 1893 by James Cutler, who then moved the community to the west of Swift Creek. It was here that the community began to grow on its current spot. In 1900, the Canadian Pacific Railway was built through the area and trains would begin running to the town site in 1901. That year, the community only had 23 people, but within five years, the population had ballooned to 400. The name of the community is owed to the fact that many of the early settlers were of British origin. One of those settlers was the niece of Thomas Carlyle, who came with her husband to the district to farm and raise a family. Thomas Carlyle was a Scottish historian and essayist who wrote several works, including On Heroes, in which he argued that the actions of the great man play a key role in history. His famous quote is, The history of the world is but the biography of great men. In 1902, the community was incorporated as a village as it began to grow from a few buildings into a thriving community. By 1905, it was a town, and the future was looking bright. On October 28, 1909, the CNR reached the community. The big event is described as such by Flurry Johnstone in a note found in a Bible years later. Quote, to celebrate the occasion, a gathering of over 200 met in front of the farmer's market, where Mayor Riddell, with a sledge handle in his hand, delivered a short address. Then, seizing the sledge, he drove the gilded spike to its place truly and securely, only halting long enough to lubricate it with a bottle of champagne broken over it by Miss Ruby Ham. On July 7th of the following year, the first passenger service went through the community. As with most communities, fire was an ever-present danger. In April 1907, the following was reported in the Carlisle Herald, quote, On Tuesday evening, the worst fire in the history of Carlisle occurred. It started in the rear of the Red Cross drugstore and then spread north to the barn of McVitie in Geeties and through the firewall south of G. Marsh's furniture store and residence. But for a vacant lot, it would have swept the entire block. During the winter of 1909-10, the CNR station was built in Carlisle. In 1912, the CNR built a brick roundhouse that would service five engines, followed by a bunkhouse that allowed train crews to stay in the community while their engines were being serviced. The population of Carlisle would remain around 400 until the 1950s, when the population surged to over 800, and since then it has continued to climb, which is unusual for small communities in Saskatchewan reaching 1,500 people today. Moose Mountain Provincial Park One of the best places to visit near Carlisle, and possibly one of the most scenic in the province, is Moose Mountain Provincial Park. Covering nearly 400 square kilometres, it is located only a few minutes north of Carlisle. The centrepiece of the park being Kenosee Lake and its many fishing opportunities. It is one of the oldest provincial parks in Saskatchewan as well. It was opened by Premier J.T.M. Anderson on July 1, 1932. And the Moose Mountains were originally named Monte à la Bosse from 1787 to 1821, when the area was primarily used by the indigenous and French fur traders. The name translates as the Mountain of the Bump or Knob. Later, the area would be named Fish Lake by the Weatherall brothers, who were growing hay nearby. The Christopher family would move in near to the lake in 1898 and established a resort that operated for several years. 
the family would be the first to cut trails through the park, allowing for hiking and camping opportunities prior to the provincial park designation. In those early years, one of the most colorful characters to live in the area was a man named Captain David T.M. Powell, but he was often called Skipper by locals. He lived alone in a small house on the north shore of the park. Interestingly, it is stated that his brother was Lord Baden Powell, a British Army officer and the first chief scout of the Boy Scouts as well as its founder. Whether that is true, it's hard to say, but it makes an interesting story. Skipper had spent time sailing around the world prior to settling in the area of Moose Mountain, and he would often regale visitors with his tales of fighting in the Zulu War in Africa and how he was the only one to get away safely. In 1906, the area around Fish Lake was home to around 30 people, and a lakeside village was established. One year later, John Rutherford became the first forest ranger in the area. The establishment of the park as a provincial park in 1932 was done as part of a relief effort to help unemployed individuals during the Great Depression. In 1930 and 1931, 250 unemployed men were brought in, of all trades, to work on various aspects of the park. This included building roads, a golf course, the chalet that the Premier would cut the ribbon for the park in, and the sunken gardens. Masonry stone was brought down from Hog and Maple Island to outline the lake. John Barnett, who was a deputy minister with the government, came to the park one day and said, quote, We'll change the name of this place to Kenosee Lake. That is Indian for fish. We'll build a chalet here, on that rise above the depression, making this into a sunken garden. In 1931, the area was sown and planted, and in 1932, the elms of the front wall of the chalet were planted. Charles Parks, a master stonemason, came from Ontario to build the chalet itself, and after Parks died, a memorial was erected to him there. Work on the golf course would begin in 1932 and was completed one year later. At the time of its opening, it was considered to be one of the best in Canada. Through the two relief camps that operated in the park as it was being built, a total of 21,863 man days of labour was provided. The total cost of the relief project was $60,998. Sadly, on November 1, 1933, the chalet that helped to open the park was completely destroyed by fire. There was no insurance on the building as it was felt that the walls of thick stone and the cement flooring would prevent any fire from spreading. But that was not the case. As it was a winter fire, firefighting equipment could not get through to save the building. The chalet would be rebuilt the following year. I'd like to take a break away from the episode for a second to talk about ExploreNet. I spent most of my life living in rural areas in Canada, and I remember the days of dial-up internet and spotty high-speed service. For the past three years, I have been a customer of ExploreNet, and I can honestly say that it is the best rural internet I have ever had. My job as a podcaster means I spend a lot of time researching online, interviewing people over Zoom, and uploading content. Through it all, ExploreNet has provided me with excellent service. When I'm not working, I enjoy streaming content on several streaming platforms, and even doing some online gaming with a friend in Ontario. ExploreNet allows me to do all of that with ease. Right now, they offer up to 50 megabits per second on their new LTE network with unlimited data. Their service has only become faster and better since I first signed on. Today and beyond, ExploreNet is investing in building and upgrading the network at a rapid pace. ExploreNet is rural, and that is their route, and that is their focus. For more information about rural internet options in your area, go to ExploreNet.com or call 
1-866-285-2253. The Rusty Relics Museum. When a museum's name is Rusty Relics, you know you're in for a treat when it comes to visiting a community. Located in the original train station that was built in 1910 and sold to the museum when it moved to its present site in 1976, there is much for the local historian to love visiting here. The museum itself was founded as a non-profit organization in 1973, thanks to a Youth for Employment grant from the government. And those visiting the station and the museum will now see rusty relics from the past of Carlisle. In 1973, through the grant, seven women went around town collecting artifacts, interviewing older residents, and conducting displays of pioneer weaving, butter making, and more. By the end of the year, an executive was chosen for the new organization, with Gladys Nichols serving as the first president. After the purchase of the rail station and its eventual move to the new grounds, the museum would officially open on July 8, 1980, and it continues to operate to this day. On the grounds of the museum, you can tour an actual CP caboose, a CN workshop, a country school, a farm windmill, and even an oil well pump jack. There is also an outdoor shelter that showcases farm machinery from the area. Interesting Stories The community of Carlisle has some great stories from its history. One of those stories comes from the curling bondspiel, often called the Carspiel, that ran from 1947 to 1954 and was considered the richest bondspiel in Canada, attracting the best curlers from around the country. Many came out with the hopes that they would win a car at that tournament. The first known rat in Saskatchewan was found on October 6, 1910 in the basement of G.W. Stockton in Carlisle, where it was killed. One of the most dominant sports teams to ever come out of the area were the Carlisle football team of 1901-1905, to who were well known enough that in 1930, the Regina Leader Post did a special anniversary story on them. During their heyday, the team was such a big deal in the community that businesses would close their doors when the team was playing and every farm driver was rented to travel to see the team play football, or soccer as we call it now. The team would win the Moose Mountain District Cup from 1901 to 1905 to the point that it was eventually given to the team and is now on display in Carlisle. They also won the Manor Cup two years in a row, which was also given to the team as a result. Moose Creek United Church and Cemetery Located only 10 kilometers southwest of Carlisle, you will find a one-story wood-framed church that was built in 1916 and stands to this day. Prior to the building of this church, the residents of the district would hold services in their homes, and then later the Moose Creek School, which was built in 1903. Eventually, it was decided in 1915 that the time for their own church had come, and a site and a building was decided upon. In order to raise the money for the church, a canvassing was done through the area. John Hewitt loaned the church $1,500 at 8% interest as well. When he passed away in 1927, the debt was cancelled. The first wedding at the church would be between Tom Cook and Isabel Wallace, which was officiated over by Reverend F.B. Ball. The church was the gathering place for many of the early settlers into Carlisle, and remains a legacy of the early settlers who built it through the hard work and volunteer labour. The cemetery was built two years after the church and is the final resting place for many of the Carlisle's first settlers. 
Due to the historic nature of the church, it was made a municipal heritage resource on March 5, 1991. Notable Residents As with many places on the Canadian prairies, especially in the hockey hotbed of Saskatchewan, Carlisle has a few notable players that have called the community home. One interesting aspect of the three NHL players from Carlisle is that they all have had interactions together while in the community. The most notable interaction is of course between Hayden and Cale Fleury, two brothers who made the NHL. Hayden Fleury was born on July 8, 1996 in Carlisle and would go on to be selected 7th overall in the 2014 NHL entry draft by the Carolina Hurricanes. On August 7, 2014, he signed a three-year entry-level contract with the team. On October 26, 2017, he recorded his first NHL point in his eighth game. On July 16, 2019, he signed a one-year extension with Carolina. Over the course of his 132 games in the NHL so far, he has had 23 points, including 14 points in 45 games in 2019-20. Cale Fleury was born on November 19, 1998, and would be selected 87th overall in 2017 by the Montreal Canadiens. After time in the WHL and AHL, Cale made his NHL debut with the Canadiens in 2019-20, playing in 41 games, recording one goal on November 16, 2019. Brendan Morrow was born in Carlisle on January 16, 1970, and he would actually babysit Hayden when he was a toddler, and before Morrow made it to the NHL. Along with helping the Portland Winterhawks win the Memorial Cup in the 1997-98 season, he would play his first NHL game on November 18, 1999, recording his first point four days later. That season, he would be named Rookie of the Year by the team. From 1999-2000 to 2012-13, Morrow played for the Dallas Stars, with his best season coming in 2007-08 when he recorded 74 points in 82 games. He would also play for Canada in the 2010 Olympic Games in Vancouver, helping Team Canada win gold. During the games, he recorded three points in seven games. The next three seasons, he would play for Pittsburgh, St. Louis, and Tampa Bay. One interesting fact about him is that he started his career playing in the Stanley Cup Final with Dallas, and he ended his career by playing in the Stanley Cup Final with Tampa Bay. Over 991 games in the NHL, he's recorded 265 goals and 310 assists. In the playoffs, he recorded 19 goals and 27 assists in 118 games. I hope you enjoyed that look at Carlisle and the great community that it is. If you did, please leave a rating and review. If you'd like to reach me, you can. Just email craig at canadaehx.com. You can also visit my website where you'll find all my podcast episodes, as well as hundreds of articles on Canada's history. Just go to canadaehx.com. And again, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash Canada EHX, just like all of these wonderful patrons have. And I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Pamela Elder, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., Vic Hedges, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, Spencer M., and Iris Gray. You can also find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash CanadianHistoryX. And I'm on Twitter. Just go to Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. I'm also on Instagram. And you just have to look for Bairdo37. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.